All right. Uh, well, good morning, uh, Lord's love. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. I'm excited to see you all uh, next week. Uh, well, not you all. We can only fit uh, less than you all uh, in our in our in our in our uh, sanctuary. Uh, Forty-two of you, to be exact. I just want to thank the team, uh, the reopening team, that's put their heart and uh, soul into this, uh, making the place safe, well marked, and well prepared. Uh, so whether you join us in person or you join us uh, online, uh, we still continue to. A stream online. Um, uh, you're welcome. I look, I look forward to moving to the next phase uh, for however long this phase is, uh, however long God uh, gives us. Uh, so uh, we're continuing our series called The Letter to the Romans, The Power of the Gospel. And the letter to the Romans was written to a real, uh, it was a real letter written to a real people in a real time in a real church uh, in Rome. And the letter to the Romans uh, has been a powerful book and uh, so far a letter to us and I hope it will continue to transform us. And people have asked me, how come we chose this as a title slide? Well, I feel like God's doing some restoration work uh, in our lives. Uh, God is doing some renovation work in our hearts. And that's been our prayer through this series that God will transform our lives into an image that glorifies him. Uh, Paul was part of a group called the Pharisees, and, and the name Pharisees, though some may argue where the um, meaning comes from, it comes from a Hebrew word uh, meaning separate or detached. That's what most people believe. And they were separate and detached from, uh, from society because they were the uh, spiritual elites. They thought they were higher religiously and in moral standing uh, than most people. And then Paul encountered Jesus, and you remember in Acts, on the roads to road to Damascus where Jesus encountered him by grace and changed him forever. And last week's sermon, uh, it was a sermon uh, for Gentiles. And, and we learned that we have a, a worship problem, that we all have a worship problem, what we place first in our lives. And this portion of text here is mainly for the Jewish nation. Now I can hear you and hear your thoughts. You're like, well, Doug, I, sorry to break it to you, but I'm not Jewish. So I can just tune out for the rest of uh, rest of the sermon. Well, uh, I think there's really a word for us uh, here today uh, as well. It's too easy to for us as well to be religious, to be legalistic, to be moralistic. And, and if you've been Christian for any amount of time and you've been part of the church long enough, you know the temptation is way too, too real. Uh, the temptation just to fake it, the temptation to live and just go through the motions, the temptation to show that, uh, show what we believe, but not really have the belief in our hearts uh, and the belief in our in our souls. And that's the call for us uh, today. Uh, the call for us, the big idea for us is to live righteously, not religiously. That this section of test is a call for us to live righteously and, and not religiously, that there's a difference between living righteously and living religiously. Uh, righteous is a pretty unfamiliar word for most of us, unless you grew up in the 80s and you said things like, yeah, that's righteous. You know, like, unless you use that kind of language, most of the time, like righteous, you know, we, we, we're not familiar with that kind of language. Uh, later in Romans 3, uh, Paul talks about how we can't produce righteousness of our own because only God can change the heart and God can change us from the inside out. Now, Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as what? As righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. That it, it, his offering came from his heart. It came from the inside out, not just on the surface, but it started with the heart first. So we learn here that righteousness is actually a heart posture. It's a, it's a standing, it's a heart change, it's a posture that understands that God, uh, what's God's call in your life, his call for holiness. And out of this righteousness of God, we live rightly. Uh, out of this understanding of who God is, we, we live, live rightly. 
So righteousness is about God, it's about glorifying Jesus, and it's about listening to the Holy Spirit. Religiosity, on the other hand, is about living rightly, but not about living, uh, believing rightly, not having the right heart. So it's all about the surface and not about the heart. But here's the issue today, that we think righteousness or righteous living is tied more to changing our behavior. That's what we think. Uh, we think righteousness is about uh, changing our behavior, changing what's on the outside. But what we also know is that Christianity isn't about behavior change. It's, it's not about acting better on the surface. Christianity is about behavior change. It's about God transforming hearts and changing lives. Christianity is an understanding that God transforms everything about us from the inside out. I hear, here's an example, maybe a little bit of a gauge. Uh, my question to you is, why do you not swear if you not swear? You know, if you don't use foul language, why do you not do it? Is it really because it's the inside out kind of language that you want to honor God with your lips or is it more that you don't want to look bad in front of other people or you don't want, or you don't want to, you want to look more holy than other people around you. You see the religious person here would have felt pretty good going through chapter one because they would have said, man, the Gentiles rejected God and I didn't reject God. I'm not them. But chapter two, if you summarize chapter two is actually an understanding that the religious people not, they didn't reject God. The religious people, they play God. They think that they are God. They think that they can make judgment calls just like God. And for most Jews in the first century, heaven was considered more or less automatic. If you're Jewish, you can think you're, it's automatic, right? Straight into, into heaven. And yes, there's a covenant that God has made to his people. But perhaps for us, when religiosity becomes part of our understanding, um, and if you've been Christian for a very long time, you, you might be thinking too that it's an automatic pass. It's an automatic pass into heaven, that you can't do anything wrong. You can't live uh, wrongly, that we, we, we can just cruise through our faith. But cruise control, if you have a car and you've driven before, cruise control is it's only for the straight road, right? You're not supposed to. Have you ever done that? Put cruise control and then made around a turn? You know, at 100 kilometers an hour, that's dangerous. Like, don't do that. It's only meant for the highway. It's only meant for the straight road. And sorry to break it to you, but life isn't a straight road. It's full of curves. Uh, and, but when we're on cruise control, before we know it, we're falling off the rails. We're falling off this road. And the Christian life isn't about being on cruise control, but it's about following Christ. It's about following who this uh, Jesus is. And when we think we have a free pass, we start having this kind of privilege that leads us to think that we deserve more than others, that we're better than others. And it leads to this sense of entitlement and superiority uh, where everyone else is wrong. And I'm the only one that, that that's right, uh, that I can't do anything that's wrong. So that sermon, man, someone else needed to hear that. Uh, prayer, no, I, I'm good. Uh, repent, oh, I did that way long ago and I haven't done anything wrong since, since then. Uh, someone's in need, well, thank goodness, that's not me. Uh, serve and sacrifice, that's for new Christians. I have better things to do with my time. Things that honor God more than this, whatever it is that God is calling me to at this moment. Well, probably worse yet, religious people somehow built up this idea that they can judge. And that's what this text is about here. Somehow we built up this idea that we can judge and we can sit in place of God. And if you, you might be asking this question too, like what's the difference between discernment and, and judging? And I can go on about this, but simply I'll say this, that discerning is really about listening to the spirit, hearing God's voice through scripture and following God. And we're able to discern what's right and wrong. Like biblical discernment is about comparing what you see in the world to what God is saying. 
that's the, our discernment. That's how we are to discern the world. But, but when you judge, judge, when you judge, you're comparing your value to someone else's. And you're putting your value above someone else. So you say your sin is worse. I'm a better person than you. Like I know your heart. I know your motivation. And that's the judgment call you made on them. So where are we going here uh, today with the rest of our time? Well, we need to understand that we need to choose to live righteously and not religiously. That the righteous heart understands that judging isn't the way that God has us to live. The righteous heart understands, firstly, that they're the same as everyone else. Secondly, they're not, uh, righteous heart understands they're not the judge anyway. The righteous heart understands judging misses God's goodness. And also, uh, the righteous heart understands judging gives a negative return. Uh, I'm going to purposely live, leave out verses 12 to 16 because that ties into next week's sermon, which Howard is going to be preaching in terms of uh, like, uh, uh, the Jewish people and the law. So I'm going to leave that uh, uh, till, till, um, for Howard to preach on uh, because it ties nicely into uh, next week. So firstly, the righteous heart understands they're the same as everyone else. We read this in Romans 2, 1 to 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Therefore, uh, Underline that, circle that. It connects the idea of what Paul just spoke about in the end of chapter one. The idea about God's wrath and how all of us have a worship problem. All of us have fallen away uh, from God. And, and the same wrath is also for those religious people. Those ones are because we're also under judgment uh, from God. Uh, same things or such things is, is mentioned some three times in the first three verses. And I asked the question of, well, what things, Paul? You know, what are you talking about here? Well, it's the same things as the end of chapter one here. More specifically, verses 29 to, to 32. You have a chance you can read that uh, for yourself. But we all wrestle with wickedness, with, with, with gossiping, deceit, uh, slandering, arrogant, boastfulness, all these things. Like Paul is saying, you also wrestle with these things, you religious people. So the idea is that if God's judgment falls on these things and the self-righteous and the religious person also does these things, then that means the self-righteous, the religious person, the ones that think they're morally high and the, the ones that are, that are spiritually up there, they also fall under God's judgment and wrath. And we do the same things because at the core, we have the same problem. When, when we judge people, we're no longer putting God in the uh, forefront we, we have identity issue again a worth issue that we are playing god and if we suppress the truth about god we too are deserving uh, of this this wrath and this uh, judgment and paul is saying that if we're doing the same thing here uh in the, and really on the same boat uh, if we're doing the same things we're on the same boat and how can we judge and because we're sinful and, and we're all broken and human uh, human judge, uh, human humanity is broken. Human judgment is also broken. Human judgment is also skewed. And we have to be honest. We, like when we judge someone, we don't know the context. We don't know the details. We don't know the motive. We don't know what people are thinking. And how often do we misjudge someone? Right? Uh, we thought it was something else. We didn't know their heart, and we made a judgment call over them that that's what they're doing. And and. And you would say things like, oh man, I can't believe that they missed service again this morning. I can't believe he or she drives that kind of car. I can't believe that they're not, they're not serving anymore, Wh whatever it is. Uh, maybe the person left because they really need to uh, left the service because 
you know, in the middle of service because they needed to uh, go out and do something. They forgot to pay for parking in the LLC parking lot. I don't know. Uh, they're not escaping, but we made a judgment call on them. Maybe they're driving a nice car because, I don't know, maybe someone gifted them with it or theirs broke down. Uh, maybe they missed service because the tragedy happened the night before. We don't know these things. We don't know the heart and the full condition, but yet we make this judgment call on people. And the truth is we, don't, we really don't know. We might see something is off. Uh, you might discern something is off. But then when we cross over to making that call on their character and on their worth, that's where we start going wrong. We start isolating and judging and putting people in a box, uh, especially as you look into the world right now, you see many things aren't right. There's many injustices and we should definitely do something about it. We should definitely call out evil and evil must be stopped. But there's a line that we cross where we start playing God, right? There's a line that we cross. We start playing God when our words and actions, we start judging people's souls. And, and there's a line there that we, we're, that, that's not meant for us to cross because only God knows. Only God knows what's in the heart. He knows before we know. He knows what we don't know. Uh, God is omniscient. And that means he's all-knowing. And by the definition of that, that means there's nothing that he doesn't know. Uh, that God truly knows the intention behind every action and behind every heart. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, uh, you might hear some of his sermons on Praise 106.5. Uh, he shares this uh, story about how he was uh, speaking at a conference in California uh, one year. And uh, this man approaches him in the beginning of the conference. And he says, oh, it's like, you know, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, I've been looking forward to this moment because I've been really wanting to hear you preach my whole life. He's like, oh, that's great. You know, thank, thanks for that. Uh, and then, um, so this man uh, proceeds to sit in the very front row. And on the very first talk, he falls asleep. Uh, he falls asleep right in the very first row uh, in the first talk. The second night, he does the same thing. The third night, he falls asleep as well. The fourth night, he falls asleep as well. <laughs> and then Chuck Swindoll starts getting pissed off uh, because this guy's saying, like, you know what? I, you came all this way to want to hear me preach, but you're falling asleep in the front row. But on the last day, his wife comes up to him and apologizes for his, wife's, uh, for his husband's inattention because uh, his, her husband actually recently got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he's been on medication. And the medication makes him extremely sleepy uh, in the evening. Uh, so he, he, she shared with him that it was his, her husband's lifelong ambition to hear him speak before he died. And now this goal has been fulfilled. See, we don't know what's on the surface. Like we don't know what's, we can only see, if we only see what's on the surface, we don't know what's in the heart. Only God knows. And we see here in verse two, he, got, he judges by the truth. It's based on truth. It's not based on how he feels. It's not based on just simply, you know, any arbitrary um, marker. It's based on truth because God is truth. God sees all yet understands all. And when we judge, we judge incorrectly because we're broken and sinful. We never see things clearly because only God sees things clearly. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7, I do not judge uh, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Uh, and, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I believe Jesus being a bit cheeky here because the point is this, we can't actually take out the plank in our own eye. That only God can do it for us. Have you ever tried, had some you know, thing in your eye and you try to remove it yourself? No, you at least need a mirror or some sort of aid, right? You need someone to help you with it. 
like Jesus saying, like, only God can do it. Only God can remove this plank, this, this big splinter that's in your own eye. So we see that the righteous heart understands that they're the same as everyone else because only God sees clearly. Only God can judge truthfully. What we also see is that the righteous heart understands that they're not the judge. Verse three, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So imagine this scene, you walk into a courtroom and what do you see in the front center? You see a chair that's reserved for the judge. And when the judge comes in, the court usher says, all rise and you all rise. And when the judge sits and then we sit, how strange would it be in that setting if you walked in the courtroom and that seat is empty and you just walk straight up and you plop yourself on the judge's seat and you proclaim that you are the judge. How strange would that be? How strange, how even more strange would it be if the judge actually walks into the room and he or she is the actual judge and you pronounce yourself to be the judge in front of the real judge? You're following me what I'm saying? Like, how strange would that be? And, and that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, like, you are standing in front of the real judge, yet you are acting like the judge in, when, when you're not the judge at all. So when we judge, we start thinking that we're the ones sitting in God's seat. Worse yet, you're actually ignoring God. Uh, you're, 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 you're downplaying who this God is. And we'll get into that in the next verse. Uh, when we're judgmental and religious, it means that we believe that we're the one dispensing the law, uh, that we're giving out the law. Worse yet, we believe we're above the law, that the law doesn't even apply to us. It only applies to other people around us. And maybe we'll never say out loud, but if you could hear our hearts, our hearts would be screaming that, that we think we're better, that we think we know better. But Paul says here that you, you a mere human being, and he's not de degrading you. He's not degrading your worth because we're all sons and daughters of God. But what he is doing is putting us in our place, that you are a mere human being. Uh, you, you there come before God, the righteous and the holy judge, and be, pretend and, and say that you are the judge yourself. Uh, God, he, he, uh, he's not bound to physical ways. God is spirit. And we know that in John 4. Uh, so anything we do, no matter how good the intentions might be, it falls short of how good God is, how righteous God ultimately is. And here's the problem is that, do you think you will escape God's judgment? The problem here is that we're not following God, but we're thinking with our own minds and we're trying to make our own reason. The word for think here is the Greek word logizomai, which means to calculate, to determine by mathematical process. And this is where the word we get, uh, we get the English word logic from. Uh, so we try to logic our way around it, except we're broken and flooded. We don't see the full picture. So what happens when you, it's like, what happens when we don't understand the premises and you try to do math? Well, that's every math exam I ever took is that I'm just trying to plug in numbers, right? And you're trying to hope the answer is zero, zero, one, or, or, or undefined or infinity. And you just hope that it makes sense. But here as human beings, we're broken and we try to plug things in but yet it leads to a bad calculation because we don't see things truly and in God's way because we're not the judge. We can't sit in that seat. I've been watching Instagram videos of people walking on the Alps because I wish I could travel at this moment. So I stare at them walking the Alps. So they're walking and running. Have you seen those videos where they're running along these edges and high mountain cliffs? And you're thinking, man, if you, if you miscalculate just by an inch, you're falling to your death. Uh, if, if, you, if you take a wrong step, you're a goner. 
Well, the person that thinks, the person that calculates that they can be the judge, they calculate wrongly. And this wrong calculation has the potential to send you either to eternal life or eternal death. That's how serious of this it is. Uh, that when you have a misstep in this sense, when you think you can play God, it has a chance to send us in the entirely wrong trajectory. So the righteous heart understands that they're not God. When you understand God's heart, you understand that we are broken as well and we can't play God. Uh, what the righteous heart also understands is that judging uh, misses God's goodness. Verse four, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So judging here, uh, we get an understanding that it means that you're showing contempt uh, for God's kindness. And this word for contempt means to, to look down or to consider the object to be of little value. So when you judge, you're showing at God and you're not understanding its grace, that you're putting it down that you're thinking it's little value, that when you judge, you don't, you're showing that you don't understand grace. You don't understand the, the, the magnitude of grace. Judging shows we don't really understand the gospel. Judging shows that we don't ultimately get the goodness of God, that we're shown contempt for it, the riches of his goodness. Uh, when you think of the Pharisees when they, and the teachers of the law, when they saw Jesus going around healing and talking to the woman at the well and, and talking to the tax collectors and eating meals with them and, and, and having this great time and bringing people into the kingdom, do you think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are standing on the side saying, man, what a great guy. You know, what a great guy. I really want to be like him. Man, that example, like, that's great. You keep doing that, God. You keep going, show, showing your love and kindness. No, they, they, they show jealousy. They're like, that's not what it is. Like, they show contempt. That's example. They show contempt for the riches of God's, uh, God's greatness. They didn't worship God more. They put it down and, and they didn't value it uh, like what uh, we, we should. Uh, but those who get it, those who understand grace, we, we, we give grace. We give grace to the people around us. And Paul uses some beautiful imagery and, and beautiful words here. He says that God is rich in kindness, that, that God is rich in goodness, and he's generous with, with, with who he is. That God is rich in forbearance, which means to receive, take up, uh, to bear, and to endure. That he's able to endure uh, the mocking and the scorning that's going on in the world. That God is rich in patience. Uh, which means that even though he's being provoked, that we're prodding God uh, and you're, you're, you're yelling at him and trying to uh, provoke him, he's able to store up anger for a long time. So patience, long suffering, that's the literal translation of that word, that he's able to suffer for a long time and take it for, for a long time. And religious people, uh, they get bitter about this. They get bitter that God is, is, is patient with people in the world, uh, that there's so much uh, pain and evil in the world. And, and yet he's saying, like, religious people will say they don't deserve God's grace in this way. They deserve God's wrath instead. How can God show so much love for someone that I think, again, I logically think they don't deserve? This is important because God's kindness is intended to what? Lead you to repentance. That God's purpose and his kindness is not to excuse sin, but it's meant to stimulate repentance. That, that's our understanding of it. That the reason he hasn't acted isn't because he didn't see or that he forgot. 
in fact, in, in verse 16, we understand that uh, what it says in verse 16 is that this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through what? Christ, Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares, that God knows it all. Uh, God knows are the secrets that we have. There's nothing we can hide from him. But the reason why God hasn't acted is simply and purely because of his kindness. He's giving time to repent. He's giving time for you to repent, for me to repent, for me, for us to turn from our ways. He's giving time for people to know him and to understand his grace and to experience his grace. We read this in, 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 second, in, in second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This morning, I want to ask you, aren't you glad God was patient with you? That God was kind with you? That God showed his, his, his mercy on you? The next time you think someone doesn't deserve God's love, be reminded of how God was patient and loving and kind to you before you knew him, because God didn't need to do that. Uh, but God displayed that because of the goodness of who he is. So we see that the righteous heart understands that, 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 uh, that judging misses God's goodness. The righteous heart understands God's heart and wants to live that out and wants to portray a life that demonstrates this kindness and, and grace and, and, and mercy of God. Lastly, what the righteous heart understands uh, is that judging gives a negative return. That judging is actually a bad idea because it stores up, store, stores up wrath for ourselves. But because of, verse 5 continues, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and mortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile for God does not show favoritism. Okay. It sounds a lot like here that, but Paul is saying you got to do more good things and good things are going to earn you into heaven, right? That's kind of what the tone is. That's what it sounds like. But even though that's what it sounds like, it sounds like a salvation by works. It's anything further from the truth. That's not what Paul is saying here, that you need to earn your way into heaven, that you need to do good things. Remember, Christianity isn't about behavior change, it's about a heart change. We're meant to live, uh, we're meant, meant to live, be in a relationship. We're not to be living religiously. But what Paul is saying here is that our actions, they have to be consistent with what our heart is like. Our actions need to be consistent with what's in our heart. And can we mask it? Sure. People have been doing it for, 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 for centuries, and I'm definitely guilty of that at times, that I myself, and I'm a recovering a religious person, that I wrestle with this day in and day out, that I need to be true to what God is saying to me and, and in, in my heart and convicting me of the ways that I have gone wrong. Sure, we could, we could mask it. And again, that's what Phariseeism is. That's what legalism is. That's what moralism is. Uh, and, and that's what religious people do. But God, however, we see this, that he sees through all of this. He sees through the actions and he sees our hearts. He sees through the veil that we put up on ourselves. He sees our hearts and our motives. 
And it is because what we read here of our stubbornness, go back to that verse, is our stubbornness and uh, because of our unrepentant heart. Uh, this word for stubborn, uh, it comes from this Greek word means sclerote. And it might not sound familiar, but it's actually where we get our English medical word sclerosis from. That's where our understanding of this. And so sclerosis means the hardening of body tissue. And here, so you might think of some real life examples, multiple sclerosis in the immune system, it attacks our, our myelin sheath of our nerves and it leads to scarring and it leads to slowing down uh, of, of communication in our nerves. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical person. I'm just saying what I read. Uh, and also atherosclerosis, which is, you might be more familiar with this, the deposit of fatty tissues in your arteries and that leads to a hardening, right? Of your arteries, uh, hardening and narrowing of your arteries. Here, he's saying here that there's a hardening of your heart. That's what people that are judging others suffer from, that there's a hardening and an unrepentant heart. And ultimately, we need to understand this, that God doesn't look at the packaging. He looks at the person's heart. You couldn't care what's on the outside if the heart isn't true, if the motives aren't right, because he sees through all of it. He sees through it all. So the question we need to ask this morning is, how is your spiritual heart? Now, where are you at right now? How is your spiritual heart? The terrible thing is some of us don't know how to answer that question because we haven't looked for a very, very long time. We haven't come before God and be like, God, how is my heart? What am I feeling? How am I doing? We don't even know the condition of our own heart because you would you ask most people that have ever gone through a heart attack, they, some would say, man, I feel great. And those are the worst ones. The ones that feel great, the ones that look great, the ones that have been doing all the things that are right on the outside, but inside there's something wrong. And we, as people of God, people that follow Jesus need to do a heart check day in and day out and understand, God, you, 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 you reveal to me what's in my heart. You reveal to me what's going on inside of me. And to seek glory, honor, and mortality, these aren't mere actions that Paul is talking about. He's talking about seeking the heart of God here. That when you seek glory, honor, and mortality, those are the words that describe God. That you're aligning yourself to who this God is. And it reveals to our heart, what is it that we are seeking? Are we seeking our own glory? Are we, are we self-seeking? Are we seeking our own, uh, own what's, what we think is better for ourselves? And we see here that God, he doesn't show favoritism that that he doesn't and that word means that word for favoritism is a two it's a um, compound word that literally means to accept the face that's what that word means god doesn't accept the face he doesn't accept what's on the surface he sees what's going on on the inside guys i did this morning as i'm ending here i hear i hope you're what you're hearing me say is not just to don't judge people because that's not really the point what Paul is trying to say here is that we all also have a heart issue, not just for Gentiles, uh, which is all of us, but those that are outside of the church that don't understand this gospel, but especially for us that understand that if we're in this long enough, we can be tempted. We can struggle with this hardening of our hearts as well. And Paul is saying that it doesn't matter what's on the surface. It doesn't matter your religious heritage. It doesn't matter from the religious family that you come from. It doesn't matter your identity, your national identity, that you come from a Christian country. It doesn't matter that once upon a time you were baptized, you committed yourself. That's good. But what about today? What about right now? It's about how you live out your faith 
and how you live out the belief that's in your heart, not just on the surface here. And a person receives what his or heart truly shows he or she really wanted. So what does your heart really want this morning? Is it God? Is it to honor him? Is it to seek him? And the only person we're fooling when we're judging and thinking that we're better than, than other people, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're just deceiving and not seeing clearly the real condition of our own heart because too often we want to judge others. We want to put down others. Maybe, and maybe that's you. And, me, and I know I wrestle with this in order for me to escape what's really going on in my own heart. I try to numb myself. I try to escape from what's happening. But God is saying this morning that there is a gospel not only for those that are far away that worship others, there's also a gospel for the, right, for the religious person. That if this morning you're struggling with religiosity, uh, you're struggling with having a relationship with God and you're just struggling with what's on the surface, God is saying, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Just come to me, sit with me, be with me, and I will give you that rest you're looking for. It's not about what the world sees. It's about what I see. It's about what I see in your heart, that there is a gospel for all. That though we judge and though we put down others, God is still saying, I died for you. That I loved you so that you don't need to do what you're doing now. You don't need to earn grace. You don't need to live according to your own strength. Jesus died for you so that you can be in a relationship with him. That we're meant to not live religiously. We're meant to be in this relationship with God. So start today. If that's not you, if you're struggling with that, start today. Start by coming into this relationship with God, saying, I need you again today. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of living this way, my own strength, but I need you and I want you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, that your word convicts and your word um, reveals what's in our heart. God, I just repent of the ways that I have judged others, that my heart wasn't in the right place, that I have put a sentence on others that it's not for me to sentence at all because I don't see clearly. I don't see purely. Father, I lead us this morning, all of us, Father, that struggle with this, of judging a world, of putting people down, Father. I pray that we would first experience your grace and your love that will transform us from the inside out, that we know that our worth, Lord, is in you. There's nothing we can do to ever earn or deserve this, this love, but you have given it freely and that we're all in the same boat, that we're all walking the same path, that Jesus, you have saved us because you are good, because you are patient, because you are loving. So this morning, we're saying yes to that again. And may we live, Lord, as agents of grace. And we go, may we live as people that have experienced your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.